iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hello, fellow Ruckers. This is the Times of Sunday Times weekly podcast, The Ruck. It's normal after the Premiership final for us all to celebrate the end of the season. This time, it's slightly gone wrong because the season appears to be going on into the next millennium. But we were here throughout the lockdown. We were here throughout the second wave. And we will be here until the bitter end. And let's hope it's not too bitter. Panel today, brilliant and completely unbitter. Lawrence Delalio, the great Lawrence, the semi-great Chris Jones, and the three-quarters great Alex Lowe. Welcome, guys. A lot to talk about in the aftermath of the Premiership final, the match that wasn't on Sunday. The Six Nations has resurfaced from somewhere, and England have got a great chance of, of uh, taking it. So have Ireland. But let's crack on. Before we do, we should say congratulations to two women's teams. England women have taken the Six Nations title already with a match to spare. And Scotland women's team probably got their best result in their history with a, a staggering home draw against France with a last-minute try by Rachel Shanklin in her first cap. So two great results there. Uh, Lawrence, um, let's go back to a windswept, uh, bitter Twickenham. And uh, what I could thought was, considering the conditions, a great match. And as a proud wasp, but also as a, an observer and a, a television uh, pundit, how do you look back on it now? We got the final we wanted. You know, the two best teams in the division, certainly, you know, the European champions against probably the, the team that's played the best rugby since since restart. Unfortunately, we didn't get the weather that we all wanted. It was an odd occasion because it's my first premiership final where we, have, we haven't seen fans or, or, or people in the stadium. And, and you can't say that, uh, I mean, that we're used to it by now because we're not and I'll never get used to it. But... As you say, as a spectacle, um, you know, both sets of players, coaches, I think did, did a marvellous job just getting their teams there, given the circumstances. And, you know, the, the heavens really opened up. It probably, you probably couldn't see quite on TV how wet it really was at Twickenham. It was horrendous. And I think the players equipped, you know, pretty admirably. I think um, Exeter, as we know, went into the game as massive favourites. European champions, they, as I said, you know, having won the trophy myself against Toulouse, you know, that's the cake, and the, and the cake doesn't taste very good without the icing. And so they had to win the domestic trophy as well. I think the reality is Wasps, given everything that happened to them going into the week, first training session on Wednesday, thought they played superbly well. They defended heroically, but you always just got a sense that Exeter were just that little bit better uh, in the scrum, the line-out, the malls. And I think in the final analysis, when, when Wasps lost four forwards including two starting front rowers, Brad Shields and, and Alfie Barbary, to COVID. With the weather conditions, you just felt that it was, it was Exeter's to lose, really. Uh, but, you know, listen, we still got a dramatic finish, as we did in the European Cup final the week before. Wasp could have easily snatched it at the end. But I don't think anyone, even, uh, even a 20-year diehard Wasp player, can, can argue that Exeter probably didn't deserve just to edge it 
Alex, just uh, as a as a forward yourself, have you ever seen the the Exeter driving more, which apparently has been almost a guaranteed try this season, so beautifully held by the Wasp defence? I mean, they never really look like scoring through their traditional means. That's exactly the point I was going to make, Jonesy. And what what impressed me so much about about the Wasps' performance, given that they we're missing those those four starting forwards, you know, who would have been really important in, in that mall defence, given they'd had no training sessions, really. They'd missed 10 days of training or so. That they were as organised as they were to shut down the prime strength of that Exeter team. And it wasn't really until those last couple of minutes when when that line-out went awry and, and Wasps' hearts had probably sunk because the, their big chance had gone that Exeter actually managed to exert that pressure and and, uh, and move up the field uh, and, and and kick that winning penalty to make it um, to, to, to round off the game. So it was in the last few minutes when Wasps were down to their third choice props and really sort of scraping the the depths of their squad to try and get to the end. It was a magnificent effort from from that Wasp pack, given everything that had gone against them and and given the power that Exeter exert and the control that they exert in that area of the game. For Exeter to have to wait until the very end before they actually manage to achieve it, for, for Wasps to rebuff them in that red zone time and time again, was um, was a sensational effort. No, you know, no lesser word would would do it justice. I don't think. Chris, um, you watched this keenly, uh, albeit from the dry of your lounge, where some senior journalists were out there getting wet in the horrendous conditions. Actually, uh, past Ray Mears on the way in, he refusing to go there because he said it was just too dodgy for him. Uh, what are your, your impressions of the game? And did you always feel in your heart that Exeter were going to do it? When you take out Feketeau from that back line and you take out the four forwards, what's to do what they did was, was, was truly remarkable. But yeah, what I thought f- from the Exeter point of view is that you learn some dreadful lessons, you know, as Lord knows, and you, 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 you foul up in big finals. But if you learn from those lessons when you're not particularly operating at your very, very best, and I felt that's what they did this time. They found a way of winning against an, a Wasp team that just wouldn't go away. And, you know, and I just love the performance of people like Joe Launchbury, who said, right, you want to try a mall? Come through me. And Joe was just huge again, which is why England just got to stick with him now uh, uh, going into the Six Nations. He's playing some fantastic rugby alongside Willis. But, yeah, you look at Exeter, and, you know, and they are a machine. The machine wasn't operating at its very best, but then someone produces a really quality try with a with a with a lovely sort of outside runner and a, a recognition of space. And that's what they tried to add, isn't it, to their game? It's not just the bludgeon. There's 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 the odd rapier there as well. Although, quite honestly, I wasn't very impressed by their Scottish fullback. I thought he sort of went missing in a big game, and that 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 did surprise me. The other thing is that Lawrence is so right. I've never got used to not having fans, especially in a magnificent occasion like that. And, you know, all the way through this Wasp run, I mean, we know that Wasp can bring in 30,000 people when they're going well. And the, the money that both sides have lost is ridiculous. And, and hopefully they'll find some ways again to get it back. But I think we are very kind to Exeter. And I just watching again this morning, I really do think that. Uh, we concentrated on that fateful line-out and the poor throw by Paul Gabriel O'Grey, who's going to have great days at Twickenham, I'm sure, and the choice of play and all. And then what we may have well have overlooked is I think that some referees, and Wayne Barnes is one, could easily have given a, a, a try or a penalty try uh, for the for the wasp drive because they did take them back about 15 to 20 yards. Yeah, right, on the, right on the line, it was so close. Mm. And... For there not to be a card was one thing, but 
could easily have been a penalty try, Lawrence. I'm not going to disagree with you, but I'd still believe that on the balance of the whole match, it's obviously we're going to focus on the last play of the game because the, the game was still in the balance. But actually, if you look at the game as a whole, you know, Wasp's line-out didn't function at the times when it needed to, whether it be in the, they lost their first line-out of the game, I think, and they lost their last line-out of the game. And, and ultimately... You know, yes, they could have they could have easily nicked it. They could have maybe put it, put them under pressure. They could have kicked the goal if if, if they'd have wanted to and, and and taken it to extra time because Jimmy mm. Gosworth, you can bet you know bet he would have uh, you know if you can kick in New Plymouth in, in New Zealand you can kick anywhere. <laughs> so, uh, I'm I'm pretty sure he would have slotted that. But I think Exeter, you know, as I said, just the foundations of their game, their scrum, their line out, their malls, their bench was that little bit stronger, and they probably just about deserve to, uh, you know, to win that game. So uh, I, don't think, I don't think anyone's arguing. Uh, as I said, I, I thought it was magnificent. And I, I congratulate them wholeheartedly. It's a tough thing to win back-to-back uh, trophies in back-to-back weeks. We just about hung on ourselves against Bath after beating Toulouse. And, and Exeter just about hung on to beat Wasps as well. And I do feel for those players, both sets of players and, and, their, and the coaches, because... Not have your family, you know, I mean, it's a nonsense, quite frankly, that you can't have 30 players that can't have their mums and dads and, and husbands and wives in a stadium to watch and share that experience with them because you won't get that back ever again. You yes. know? And, um, and, and I just think that's a real tragedy. And I'm not sure who makes these rules up or laws or whatever they're called, but uh, they want lining up, really, to be honest. Jonesy, I thought um, yeah. Rob Baxter put it beautifully when he said he said that Wasps had made it a final worth winning. It gave them pride to have won a game like that. It elevated the, the achievement. I think they, they were 11-point favourites going in before the heavens opened. Now, if they'd won it at a canter, it would have been an amazing achievement for Exeter. But, uh, but they really knew that they'd won it because they'd been pushed right to the limit. And some of their bigger players, Jack Knoll was playing with ruptured toe ligaments. And I watched him play the week before uh, in the European Cup final and and put in my player rating that day that he's the type of player who can influence any style of match, any type of game. Jack Knoll can do something that will, <clears throat> that will affect things. So I thought he was excellent. And Henry Slade, we're just seeing the best of Henry Slade now. And some of his, for both teams to be fair, but some of Henry, Henry Slade's kicking for touch, the, the accuracy, the bravery to go <clears throat> deep as, as, as he did to put his team in the right position, just such class. And, I, I hope now that that gets translated onto the international stage because I think we've seen the best of Henry Slade in big Exeter games. We haven't yet seen it, certainly on, in, uh, in a consistent way with England. And, I, and if he starts in Rome, I would I'd hope he just, he just keeps on purring because that's how he plays, this sort of smooth style, classy style of his. I thought he was superb. Okay, guys, we're going to move on now because in case anyone hadn't noticed, the Six Nations comes to a climax this week. It is the original Super Saturday. Wales play Scotland, Italy play England, and France play Ireland. Very, very tight indeed for the title. Ireland on 14 points, England 13, France 13. Ireland with a superior points difference, but arguably with the most difficult game to come. Uh, Alex Lowe, you've just been listening to Eddie. We'll come to the actual squad later. Where do you see it at the moment? Ireland with a bonus point in France can take the title. France, arguably the most impressive team of this week, this last weekend, when they hammered Wales. Yes, you've nailed it there. Really, this is this is the final weekend of a season that began back in August of last year with the World Cup warm-ups. This is the last game to be played of this season, or last round of matches. It's been an incredible time, and it, and it's and it comes to a to a good climax because we've got 
you've got Italy, England as the afternoon game, the middle of the three, and then and then France, Ireland in the evening. So England should go to Rome and put up a big score, claim their bonus points, and then sit back and and keep their fingers crossed that Ireland can't go to Paris and do the same. That they'll need a four try bonus point win. I, I don't see it from what I saw of their victory over Wales and obviously what we saw of them in the Six Nations back in the spring. They're a team on the rise. They've got a, a young core. And I think for Ireland, who are stuttering a bit under Andy Farrell at the moment, to go to Paris and win with a bonus point is, is a huge ask. If they do it, they'll deserve it. I, I'd say England are favourites to win this title now. This is an England squad that only a few you know, the beginning of the season blew the All Blacks away. So uh, let, let's be honest, if England play anywhere near their best, and they won't be at their best because they'll be a bit rusty in terms of um, the collective, but uh, there's enough new faces in that England squad to really go out there and play with with a real freedom uh, that, that we see them playing in week in, week out at club level. And uh, I'm a bit fearful for Italy, if I'm honest, this weekend, because... Uh, they could be on on their way to a to a hiding, really, and um, it's a bit of a worry, really. And 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 that goes for all the kind of I wouldn't put Italy as a tier two nation, but their performances haven't been much better than a tier a tier two nation, if I'm honest. You look at what Georgia, you know, they were walloped by Scotland, weren't they? Really, there were some other pretty hefty results across the league, and I think the eternal question of how does a how does a team bridge the gap, bridge the divide? You know, Italy have been trying to bridge it for a long time, and they're probably wider now than when they started, um, you know, 20 years ago. That All Blacks game was a year ago today that England defeated the All Blacks in the World Cup semi-final. The squad that Eddie's announced, has there's no Manu Tuolangi because he's injured, no Courtney Laws because he's injured, George Ford uh, won't play for a few weeks, Elliot Daly won't play for a few weeks, Joe Marler won't play for a few weeks, George Cruz has moved to Japan. So there are a lot of changes within one long season to, to, the, to how this England team will look from that, all Blacks game, but also from the way they finished the Six Nations before it paused back in March with that win against Wales. So there is fresh blood there and it is quite exciting. And they should then do their bit and then hand over to Ireland and see see whether they can go and um, repeat it in uh, in Paris. Chris, um, France, with a, apart from an aberration against Scotland uh, when they finished with 14 men, probably been the most impressive team. You were particularly impressed by them on uh, Saturday evening against Wales? Absolutely. To go behind as they did, to give uh, Wales a, a, a great start and then to come back strongly, inevitably it revolved around Dupont, who is by some way the best scrum half in the world and maybe the world's best player at the moment. He was just marvellous. And when you, when you have uh, Olivon the skipper, alongside him doing what he does as the liner, do, do, do his support line uh, running is brilliant. They were just great. And, and they've got an offloading game now, which obviously revolves around uh, homegrown players like uh, Vakatawa, you know, in their, from their Fijian community. I mean, they're incredibly dangerous. And uh, yes, they, they still do the French things that you expect the French to do, which Lawrence knows all about. I mean, Bernard uh, LaRue's forearm into the face of Alan Wynne Jones, I saw at the time, I thought, well, that's a nice one, isn't it? No, they didn't until the game had actually finished before they spotted that obvious foul play. They also gave away a a load of penalties that were totally unnecessary. Aldred was playing the fool and the hero at the same role at the same time. And he probably summed up that performance. At times, they were absolutely fantastic. At other times, you just wanted to give them a good slap because they were making the sort of you know mistakes you shouldn't be making at their stage of development. OK, they're not there yet. 
But boy, this is the sort of team that by 2023 is going to be really frightening. How will we feel about whoever wins the, the Six Nations, Lawrence? Will it have the same ring? You'll go down in the record books, but it has been so interrupted and without fans. Will it feel devalued even, if, even for the winners? Good question. I think it's, it's hard to feel connected to the tournament when you're playing a kind of a, a final game so far apart. I think, uh, obviously, the, the tangible reward for the winners is, is the trophy and, uh, you know, and, and, and go down in the record books. But from England's perspective, and I don't mean to sound, get ahead of myself here, but it just feels like a warm-up game for the others, really. <laughs> uh, I mean, to say that as, an England, uh, as a Six Nations fixture, I mean, Italy come last quite comfortably on, in the table. So I think for England, it, and Eddie Jones would, wouldn't say this either, but they probably see this as a warm-up game for much tougher opposition to come in the next few weeks. Lawrence, when, with the foot-and-mouth game all those years ago, when England didn't win the Grand Slam that, that they were on course to win. The disappointment didn't feel any less, did it, just because it was disconnected from the rest of the championship? No, you're, no, you're absolutely right. And, and listen, we, we have to remember that we, I and many of you, have given England a lot of stick over the years for only winning one Six Nations title in 12 years since the World Cup. Then they win a hatful, including a couple of Grand Slams. So, listen, to win a Six Nations title, however you win it, is, is a pretty tough thing to do. And to stop... Ireland, Scotland and Wales winning it from an English fan's perspective is a nice thing to do. So, uh, yeah, listen, they'll take it for sure. I just feel maybe a little bit disappointed, like we all do, with the way that it's panned out, that we didn't get the sort of Super Saturday climax that we really wanted. But, you know, listen, we've always got next year, or have we? (laughs) Chris, um, just finally, Ireland never seemed to be at the back of the queue with uh, advantages. I suppose that's what comes of having the game governed in Ireland. But for Ireland to know exactly what they've got to do, is that not a major advantage? Well, I think it would be a major major advantage if they weren't going to Paris, because from what I saw of the Irish, there's there's enough there for the, the French to uh, to really make it difficult for them. We've been in this position before. I mean, Alex and I was remembering Rome that time. Actually, we were waiting to find out the result of the final game from Paris as England was sitting there waiting to receive the trophy, and we all trooped off... Uh, to the bar, uh, and England disappeared into the night, uh, totally distraught because they hadn't won the title. It, it's a strange scenario to have, and wouldn't we all like it to be three, three o'clock kickoffs? But of course, television dictates everything these days, Jeff. So uh, we're going to have a super Saturday, and uh, I don't think it makes a difference if I don't know what they've got to do because I don't think they're going to do it anyway. They'd always be chasing that bonus point win on that, even if the kickoffs were were the same time. And I think also, I was asked to go on Times Radio this week and ask this question on there to an audience who don't really follow rugby and said, listen, all the teams have accepted and uh, it's an inherently imbalanced competition anyway since Italy arrived because some teams get three home games, some teams get two. So for the last round to be staggered in the way that it is, is inevitable for television. And, And I don't think that the kind of imbalance argument stacks up because the whole competition is is imbalanced anyway you're listening to the ruck enjoy more rugby insight and analysis throughout the season with the times and the sunday times subscribe today and get one month free search the times.co.uk forward slash the ruck online as you're listening to me daisy apple's iphone disassembly robot is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. 
had two news hounds uh, from our panel in on the England announcement, which took place uh, as we speak only about an hour ago. Alex, uh, just give us your uh, your headlines from that announcement. Um, possibly uh, that Eddie, for a change, did pick people who were bang in form, such as Dan Robson, Jack Willis, and but neither of the Exodus uh, Simmons are, are in there. I guess the immediate news were, was confirmation that, that George Ford and Elliot Daly wouldn't play or won't play against Italy and won't play for a couple of weeks. And on the selection front, yes, he rewarded... Jack, so Jack Willis is back in. He was picked first in 2018 for the summer tour of South Africa just before uh, suffering that horrendous knee injury that, that kept him out for about 18 months. But his form it just has been so outstanding that it was it was impossible for, for him not to be in. He's joined... He's one of eight uncapped players. David Ribbons from Northampton. The Northampton lock is there. Jacob Umanger is still in. He was in the training squad. He's now one of only two specialist fly halves in the squad with with no George Ford at the moment. But as you say, two of the, the most notable omissions, we already knew that Ben Spencer wouldn't be there. Dan Robson is is there as one of three scrum halves. Um, are, are the Simmons brothers. There's no Joe Simmons, who 23-year-old fly half, who captained Exeter to the double. Um, he doesn't make it. England are looking at, as I say, Farrell, Umanger. And then within their squad, Eddie Jones is talking of, of George Furbank as a fly half option. He's also got uh, Max Malins and Henry Slade who've played there and there's no Sam Simmons the European player of the year in a squad where they couldn't pick Mark Wilson because of injury but they they found room for Lewis Ludlam is back in Ted Hill is still involved but there's no Sam Simmons so I think those are the two major omissions that are new this week as I say Ben Spencer we already knew of and there's a there's yeah eight eight of the 36 are are uncapped. So there's a, there's a freshness about it. Ollie, Ollie Lawrence, I think, has got a strong chance of playing in uh, in Rome next week. So I think those are the, the sort of the headline selections and, and non-selections. Chris, what did you pick up at the uh, announcement? I just got the impression that uh, even Eddie couldn't uh, ignore Jack Willis, where he could definitely ignore the Simmons boys because he he likes what he sees with, uh, with Jacob uh, at ten. And when you've got Ben Earl doing that sort of strong, uh, explosive stuff off the back, then you can make an excuse maybe for not picking Sam. I think it's incredibly tough on those two good players because you want players coming into a squad, yeah, full of confidence, real momentum, lots of self-belief. And they, they would have brought that with them. And, OK, you can argue that yeah, the Wasp boys do the same. But quite honestly... Uh, I think it's just Eddie again being Eddie, particularly not so much with Joe, but with Sam. I don't think there's a really good argument for for keeping him out of the squad. Quite honestly, it's uh, it's going to be a long season of these autumn matches and straight into the Six Nations. And yeah, Sam Simmons does offer that that something that's the last twenty blast you need from a player that could change a, a game. I think uh, from my point of view, I've got question marks against. Uh... Furbank at all. I just don't think he's played anywhere like he can. Willie Hines, I thought, was lucky in the World Cup and is still lucky. Charlie Heels and Ribbon Ewells, I'd like to see something from them, which persuades me they're more than club players. But Sam Simmons is not in Lawrence. Billy's not on great form, but even Vunipola. Is there a, a way, you think, that Jack Willis playing so well that they'll play three flankers with Tom Curry and Sam Underhill. First of all, the, the curse of the uh, European Player of the Year award has struck again. Sam Simmons has joined an illustrious list of those left out by their national coaches after, uh, mainly English, by the way, after they've been uh, picked by uh, 
the whole of Europe as the best player in what's known as the premier competition in the uh, in the Northern Hemisphere. So uh, Eddie Jones clearly doesn't concur. I, I'm a I'm a massive Sam Simmons fan. I think he's the most dynamic ball carrier in this country at the moment. He's got speed, agility, footwork, everything. And I do think he's big enough to play international rugby. And so I think, you know, it's a, it's a big surprise for me that he's not playing. Billy Vanapola is a worry in the sense that he's a magnificent, colossus of a player when he's on top form. But we haven't seen that form for quite some time. And I think one of the biggest challenges Eddie's got as a coach is getting Billy back to the levels that he was playing at when he was named man of the match in, um, in, in the European Cup final, uh, you know, over a year ago, because uh, England need a, a, a ball carrier like him to be playing at their very best. So, uh, so that surprises me. And none of us are, um, well, all of us are used to having a, a little bit of a spell on the bench. And, and as I said before, maybe to get the best out of Billy Vunapola, the, the best thing to do would be to give him a little spell on the bench. But I don't think Eddie will do that. I think he, he likes him. He'll pick him again. They've got to find a way of using him without the ball as well as with the ball. I think... Jack Willis, if I was a coach, I'd just keep picking him because when a player is in such such a rich vein of form that every time he laces his boots up, things just happen around him. You've got to pick him. Um, so I'd, I'd put him straight into the starting team. I think the game against Italy is the perfect opportunity to do that. And I think that they'll, you know, I'd like to see a Curry or Underhill argument because I think it gives the, the balance of the back row better. So I'd start with Tom Curry and I'd have Sam Underhill uh, to come off the bench and you know you go with the number eight and uh, you know on form it's Simmons but he's not in the squad so it, it'll probably start with Billy really. Chris Lawrence was absolutely a brilliant summary there of the back row would you agree with that if Billy doesn't really find his true form that Sam Underhill who we gave 10 out of 10 to after the uh, one year ago after the New Zealand game might, might be struggling because of the sheer animal force of, of Willis really? I'd be really interested to get uh, Lawrence's view on on Billy and the three broken arms because since he's gone through this series of, of really horrible injuries, it just seems to have taken something out of him. And uh, and you know, he will always say, "Well, don't worry, as long as Mako's playing, he'll get the best out of Billy." And they you know, they play well off each other. That hasn't really happened either. And I'm I am concerned about Billy. I don't believe he's reached the level anywhere near where he should be at this stage of his career. And, you know, I can see Eddie thinking, well, yeah, we tried Curry at, at eight and then get Willis and Underhill flying off him off the side. So there is a there is a balance to be struck. There, with, with the great thing with Billy, the big problem with Billy, as we know, is the line out. You know, he, he's no line out forward. And so you've got Willis in there who does become an option. They tried to turn Curry into a line out. It's not natural for him. And, and, and well, Underhill, even well, you need a stepladder. But I just think that, Billy is off his game. And Lawrence, do you think the broken arms are a factor? Well, they might be. I mean, when he's on form, he's world-class. But every player, when you have longevity in your international career, you will go through a spell like he's going through where you're not playing that well. It's a challenge for him and it's a challenge for Eddie Jones and, and for uh, for his coaches at Saracens. But, you know, he he's only fitfully really reproduced the sort of form that we know he's capable of. And... That shouldn't be good enough for Eddie Jones and it shouldn't be good enough for Billy Vunapola either. So quite how, we, how you address that. Do you continue to pick him and let him find his form in a game like the Italian game or the Autumn Nations? Or, or do you just give him a little bit of a kick up the backside and, and just put him, give him a spell on the bench? And, and that's, a, that's a really fascinating decision that Eddie Jones has got. I think there's one or two players that are probably fortunate to be picked in that squad. I think Furbank 
sadly for him, you know, nothing personal, but he's been going backwards ever since Eddie picked him. And I don't, for the life of me, understand how he's maintained his place in the squad. But the back row I've picked is is not necessarily going to be uh, causing all sorts of problems at the line-out. So, uh, but I don't think they'll have that many problems in the line-out against Italy. And it's horses for courses. I think you've got to have a look at some of these uh, younger players. Pleased that Johnny Hill's in the squad. I think he's thoroughly deserved his selection. And uh, some really interesting calls for Eddie Jones to make, really. Alex, um, scrum, scrum half. Does the Ben Young's era end? And is Dan Robson the man for the next era? And if not, Dan, who? Well, to, to answer that, I, we should go back to the Six Nations 2019, where Dan Robson was in the squad and was due to play with his third cap against Scotland when he was ruled out with deep vein thrombosis, which forced him out of six months. He missed the World Cup really because of it. And he's now played himself back into the squad again. And he was in the mix previously. It was only that that horrible injury or ailment that that, that knocked him off the bench and, and out of the, the World Cup picture. He's playing so well. He is in. Eddie's broken his usual rule by picking three scrum halves. For this weekend against Italy, I think Ben Youngs will start and win his 100th cap. And Dan Robson would have to be on the bench ahead of Willie Hines because... The sharpness of thought, the form that he's in, the vision that he showed in getting in, you know, helping Wasps march up from tenth to, to to finish runners up, he has to be in the squad. Longer term, it's his position to hold on to. I'd say, assume, assuming that Ben Youngs doesn't doesn't uh, padlock the shirt down for the next four years, which I would be surprised if if, if he did. Eddie Jones likes Alex Mitchell at, at Northampton. But it's notable that he's dropped out this week, and Dan Robson is in, and he's in prime form and. He convinced Eddie once this time, uh, Six Nations time, 2019. So I think he's got a real good chance of convincing him again. I just do not understand how Woody Hines can get into an England squad ahead of Ben Spencer. It's ridiculous. I do not understand Eddie's thinking on this. Okay, he doesn't shout and bawl like other scrum halves. But quite honestly, you cannot tell me that this restart season, that Ben wasn't absolutely outstanding and he was pushing Robson so hard for that sort of form number nine of the Premiership. And that just beggars belief. Uh, Just going on to another game that never was. Lawrence, I've got an important question for you. You were a notable barbarian. Say you were playing for the barbarians against England. You've been locked up all, all week. Uh, without a drink, going through all the COVID protocols. Towards the weekend, someone suggests a breakout where you all go for a drink. Just a, just a quiet, a few quiet ones. Would you have been one of the drinkers or would you have stayed in the hotel? Ooh, stick or twist. Mm. <laughs> That's a decision I've had to make a few times, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've always made the same one. I'm hardly the man to um, to discuss uh, indiscretions um, and uh, and the breaking or keeping of any rules, really. But uh, look, I I, um, I think we live in unprecedented times, don't we? Really, and uh, unfortunately, what we what what a lot of a lot of people haven't really taken on board, players included, is that you know your actions every single day at the moment have direct uh, implications and consequences on other people. You know the way we are carrying ourselves at the moment and our responsibilities just just in simple things like washing your hands have got consequences on on the health of of, of other people so what I'm more interested in, I can't you can't condone what's happened and, and say that it was a wonderful idea and yes it's in the barbarian spirit but what you don't need to leave the hotel to have a drink you don't need to leave the hotel to uh, to have a, a 
a pizza or a burger or a meal or whatever. You know, just stay in a better hotel if, if you know if you want to have a bit of fun. The other slightly cynical part of me thinks that, <laughs> and maybe I'm being a bit harsh on the RFU, but they were pretty quick to call the game off, and I just wonder deep down how much did Eddie Jones actually want to play the game because he must have been consulted. You know, would you like this game to go ahead or not, or would you prefer an extra bit of tough training to prepare your players for the England game? And commercially, what sort of motivation did the RFU have for the game to continue to go ahead? Because there was enough players available to play the game. Now, in any other competition, that game would have gone ahead. But this game was cancelled very, very quickly. Maybe they were concerned about the backlash that it would have caused had the game gone ahead in terms of, uh, you know, what had happened. But I'm just becoming, I mean, maybe I've been hanging out with you lot too long, but I'm becoming very, very cynical, you know. Alex, you're over to our um, insightful newsman. There's a few things there. One, I think Lawrence's point about there's a lot going on. You have to understand your the consequences of your actions. Rugby at community level is the only sport that has not yet been able to resume. So you've got thousands and thousands of people who want to get out and play rugby but aren't allowed. Elite rugby players are in a privileged position. They are being allowed to play, but it comes with sacrifices. It comes with conditions. And one of those conditions is you have to be tested all the time. And in order to play against England, you have to stay in the bubble. I'm told that all the players had to sign a letter confirming they understood that. I'm told the players were, I'm told by the barbarians, that in fact, John Spence has been quoted as saying it, that the players were reminded frequently about the responsibilities and the need to stay within the bubble because England needed to know they were playing against a team that was at 100% COVID-free. And there's an interview that Tim Swinson gave from inside the camp in which he outlined the fact the players knew that they couldn't go out. So how they got from that position, whether they just thought they could sneak out. And that's what it sounds like. The RFU's security guards suddenly realised they weren't in the hotel and and tracked them down to this meal that they were having. That's on the Wednesday night. And there is unconfirmed talk that one of the players who went out for the drinks on Tuesday was still in the camp on Friday. He didn't go out for the meal, so he hadn't been sent home. And once that all emerged then there's no, you know, there's no way of being absolutely certain okay. that they didn't have it. So on the issue of, of the commercial side of things, I mean, they're going to have to pay pay Sky and the BBC their money back or a portion of their money back. I think it was a, just a grossly irresponsible thing to do, not only because you know they were getting paid five grand or so to play for the Barbarians in this game, but they are the privileged few who are actually able to play rugby at the moment. And they were being asked to be supported by thousands of rugby fans around the country who aren't in a position to play the game they want to play because of COVID. And I think because of that, it, it, the whole thing stinks. Chris, uh, I, I believe you, you identified a, a section of the Barbars party that might have been particularly miffed by it. Yeah, Alex has mentioned you know, the match fees there. And, and, and it's very nice to get a, a match fee as well as being put up in a Mayfair hotel. Uh, and being given, uh, they yeah, you know, they weren't actually locked in their rooms. They had a fantastic room. They had everything they could they could want. There. They were allowed to go out. They'd actually allowed them to go out into into, into the parks there and actually go and have coffee and that. So they weren't sort of tied down. And in that party were seven Fijian players who had come over here to join Vern Cotter's flying Fijian squad for the autumn matches. Now, that match fee for each of those players would have made a huge difference to their families mm. and villages back in Fiji. It's just been taken off them. I'm, I'm hoping the barbarians would have recognised that and have still given them a bung because, you know, it wasn't their fault that they decided to play by the rules. They signed the document as well and they stayed in. 
and it's other people. Look, all those people involved in in Sky and 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 those on contracts for TV contracts to produce production from a, a match at Twickenham. These people, you know, freelance workers, they all lost money. Everybody lost money. And then, uh, and the, the most incredulous thing is it revolves around those two massive party goers, those guys who broke every rule in their in their careers, Richard Wigglesworth and Chris Robshaw. It's just a staggering, staggering mistake they made. And it comes at a time where Chris is meant to say goodbye to everybody before he goes to America. And it was Richard's sort of farewell as a, as a Saracen player in an international context. It's just unbelievable. This is the first time we've had two Archbishop of Canterbury's on the same panel. He did well there. Lads, just tell me before we go, your God or Goddess of the Week. We'll start with Alex for your God or Goddess of the Week. Well, I'm going to pick Richmond Rugby Club and Sarah Hunter, but for the same reason. So it's connected to the work Marcus Rashford is doing. So Richmond Rugby Club supplied school meals to 50 kids in the in the borough during the summer holidays, and they've offered to do the same again during this half-term. And Sarah Hunter has, uh, the England women's captain, not only got a Six Nations victory to celebrate, but she she's putting her hand in her own pocket to help children from a school that she, I think she's connected with. So for the club and for Sarah Hunter, they get they get a, a joint vote from me. That's a very good start. Lawrence? I think for me, I mean, obviously I'd like to name Jack Willis as my God of the Week, but he's been my God of the Week for the last 10 weeks, really. So uh, <laughs> I'm actually, actually going to go with Alan Wynne-Jones, who is uh, an absolute colossus of a man. I've been... Um, scurrilously uh, described as writing his international career off by the Wales Online. But then uh, we all know that Wales Online just rip off any story that anyone else produces. And uh, Correct. maybe they'll listen to this and rip off this story that Alan Wynne-Jones is my god of the week for... Did he equal or did he just beat Richie McCall's record of, of test appearances? I think he's beaten it, hasn't he? He's become the most... He will next week. Yeah, he will next week. He will, yeah. he will next week. So you know the longevity of of his and the and the quality that he's and and the and the way that he conducts himself, not just as a rugby player but as a human being and as a bloke, I think deserves a, a lot of credit. And he's uh, he's the god of the week for sure. Very good. At Wales Online, I think they must have a, a direct line, not not to our companies but to our laptops, because it seems to me that whatever you write gets on Wales Online within about ten seconds. Chris Jones, <laughs> god or goddess? My second choice. Alex has already mentioned Sarah. And uh, but my first choice, and because consistently throughout this ridiculously long and tortuous and demanding season, Rob Baxter has been a voice of calm authority and class in many, many difficult situations. And to see that picture of him with both trophies, one on each hand, it's like, you know what? Good guys do come first sometime. Good one. I've got someone who ended uh, Saturday's flat on his back, clearly highly emotional. I thought Joe Launchbury in that game, maybe he's not the biggest, maybe he's not the greatest. My God, what a what a player. He was involved in all the, the resistance to the driving malls around the fringes, brought some to a, a stop on his own. And that's what playing for your club, I think, should mean to you. I thought Joe Launchbury was, was, was out of this world. Thank you all for listening to The Rack. We'll be back next week with news of whether England or Ireland or France are the Six Nations champions. Please stay with us. Thanks a million today to Lawrence Delalio, Alex Lowe and Chris Jones for being with us. 
This podcast was brought to you thanks to the support of readers of The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and get one month free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash the ruck. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.